Parrish and Rob McGregor welcome you to a place where all kinds of phenomena flourish. Voices whisper, ancient secrets, signs and symbols are abundant. UFOs, ETs, ghosts, and even the dead move about freely. Here we meet authors, researchers, and investigators of the mysterious, the strange, and of the inexplicable anomalies that surround us. Step out of the everyday world and take a journey into the mystical underground. Welcome to the Mystical Underground. Thank you for joining us. This is Trish McGregor. And Rob McGregor. And our tech magician producer, John Posey. You can go to the mysticalunderground.com where we make regular posts and you can find out about our books. Our most recent nonfiction book is Phenomena Harnessing Your Psychic Abilities. Trish's latest novel is Skin Shifters, and Rob's latest novel is Tourbus, which is now available in audio as well as print and ebook. Okay, Rob. Okay, we're going to start off today with an interesting news item. We came across recently. Uh, some of our listeners may have heard of Robert Bigelow, who has been involved in the aerospace industry for decades, and he's also an investigator of UFOs and the paranormal. So Bigelow has announced an essay contest in which he is giving away nearly $1 million uh, as an uh, inaugural activity of his new uh, founded organization, the Bigelow Institute for Consciousness Studies. So Bigelow is famous for his entrepreneur endeavors in regards to the paranormal research, such as uh, Skinwalker Ranch and government-contracted uh, UFO research through uh, Bigelow Aerospace Advanced Space Studies Program. And he founded the organization, this organ new organization in June of last year. It's uh, part of Bigelow's lifelong goal to create a research organization dedicated to answering the question of what happens to us when we die. Do we survive death? And if so, what's it like on the other side? The essay contest is intended to raise public awareness uh, for the topic of survival of human consciousness and to stimulate research, according to the competition's website. So the, the goal for uh, applicants is to write an essay that summarizes the best evidence available for, for the survival of human consciousness after permanent bodily death. <laughs> Uh, as opposed to near-death experiences, I guess. So Bigelow will uh, award the top three essays. The first one will receive $500,000, $300,000 for second place, and $150,000 for third place. So according to the BICS website, competition entries are expected to employ a focus on scientific evidence and include both objective and subjective supported documentation, including older documented cases, photographic or electronic data, validated and authenticated human experiences, and other relevant literature and sources. So the deadline for entries is August 1st of this year, and they will be judged by a panel of renowned experts, including forensic neurologist Christopher C. Green, journalist and author Leslie Keene, Rice University professor Professor of Philosophy and Religious Thought, Jeffrey Kripal, the uh, theoretical physicist, Harold Putoff, University of California, Irvine Professor of Statistics, Jessica Utz, and survival of consciousness expert, Brian Wise of Miami, and all those people have PhDs after their names. Or MDs. Yeah, <laughs> or both. <laughs> 
the winners of the competition will be announced on November 1st. Except for Leslie. She's yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so if you're interested in submitting an entry, you can go to bigelowinstitute.org and read more about it. So this is an interesting challenge, especially since objective and subjective evidence are included. Uh, the problem, at least up to this point, has been the mainstream science tends to see all supposed evidence of life after death as subjective, misinterpretations, fraud, or hoax. But with this panel of judges who are attuned to consciousness research, the results should be interesting. So with that said, now let's introduce our guest today. Janice Carlson holds a BS degree in communications and secondary education. After years spent as an advertising copywriter, she authored 15 novels for New York publishing houses under her fiction writing pen name, Ashlyn Price. Then in 1992, Janice accidentally discovered her ability to communicate with the dead. Since that time, she's done thousands of afterlife communication sessions for clients throughout the U.S. with a money-back guarantee of contact, which is rare. <clears throat> her recent book, Soul Sensing, How to Communicate with Your Dead Loved One, received a glowing four-star review from the San Francisco Book Review, as well as, rave, as well as raves from scores of radio and podcast hosts throughout America. In addition to being a psychic, like I said before, Janice is one of the very few mediums in the U.S. who offers a money-back guarantee of contact. Janice, it's great to have you here. I love your book. Well, thanks for having me. Thank Welcome, you. Welcome, Janice. Yeah. So you use, you use the term <laughs> soul sensor. Uh, how, do you, how do you define that term, and uh, who are the soul sensors? Well, um, we're all soul sensors. Um, and I, I found that I, I sort of made the term up because I knew <laughs> there were what they called astro senses or, you know, that, that group of things that we call uh, clairvoyance, clairaudience, mm -hmm. those, those senses. But they're actually, in this um, sense of the word, we're using them um, to communicate with our deceased loved ones. And so it's really about soul communications. And that's why I rename them. They have a slightly different meaning when you're talking to the dead. For instance, when we talk about clairvoyance, very often we're talking about someone who sees, who's a seer into the future. But clairvoyance, when we're talking about medium work, is about seeing deceased loved ones or seeing images that they want to instill on our minds. Um, so they're just, it, it's, a, it's a different mentality about these inner senses that we all possess. Okay. Um, Janice, before you, you know, try to contact a deceased loved one, what, what do you do? I mean, do you meditate first? Do you put yourself in an altered state? How, what's your process? I don't have to go into an altered state. I do ask my client ahead of time if, um, if, if what relation the person is that we're going to be talking to mm -hmm. is to them. For instance, I'll ask, is, are we going to be talking to your mother or your brother or what, what familial or friend relationship mm -hmm. they are, just so that I can kind of form a little bit of a bond before the session, but I don't ask for names or any kind of uh -huh. identifying information because I want to save that for the session, and that's how we determine in the first few minutes whether or not I'm reaching the party you wanted to talk to. That's me bringing through identifying information about um, maybe how they looked physically, mm -hmm. how they died very often comes up. And, um, and how about then names? If, 
sometimes names, although uh-huh. that's not my forte. For instance, I, the other day I was doing a session and I got the name Dan, but in fact, and it rhymed, but in fact, it was a guy <laughs> that was named Brandon and they called him Bran all the time. Hmm. Yeah. So I wasn't, I don't always hear the consonants correctly, but I definitely hear the vowels. Uh-huh. And um, so I come pretty close if I don't nail the name usually, but names are not my forte. Oddly, I'm much more likely to bring through pertinent numbers like they're likely to tell me their birth date or oh. something or how long it's been since they passed those kinds oh. of things. Oh. Okay. and without that identifying information you know um you can't be sure you're talking to who you want to be talking to and that's <laughs> bad for two reasons one is you're paying for you're paying for the session so if if we aren't getting that identifying information correctly then i end the the uh the session and mm. i reimburse them Usually they pay on PayPal or whatever they prepay. Uh-huh. I reimburse them for the session because I want to make sure that we don't have unhappy customers here, right. clients. And also because I don't want to invite um, anonymous spirits into my process of meeting. Uh-huh. Especially tricksters. Right, exactly. I'm just not into the whole seance thing where you say, "Are there is there anybody on the right, other side right. who wants to talk to you?" Well, there probably is, and you may not want to, in the end, want to talk to them. <laughs> right. You know. Yeah. Right. So that's why I do it that way. I, I do ask that they specify who we're going right. to be talking so, to. Now, again, I don't want people to worry that that's going to happen during a medium session that we won't make contact because then if they get tense, it's a three-way conversation. And if one party is tensed up, it, it blocks the communication. Uh, mm-hmm. So I tell them up front that maybe it happens in one in 50 clients, mm-hmm. 50. Um mm-hmm. So it doesn't happen very often. And I'm always walk away from it angry. I'm always really kind of angry about it because it usually works. So it's like how you feel when you suddenly log onto a computer and you can't find a right. site that you go to all the time, you know. Yeah. So so that's what makes you a mental medium rather than a channeler. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Channelers' voices will change to kind of um, – echo the or or mock sort of um assimilate the sounds that, that the dead person would have made um and in the voice and so forth i don't my voice doesn't change and i don't bring through a steady flow of information from the other side what i do is um mediumship mental mediumship is a three-way conversation and that is i'm going to tell you the images i'm getting and what i'm seeing and you may have to help me interpret what we're seeing because it may not mean a thing to me mm-hmm. you know mm. um one one person on the other side said to me the word persimmon which i vaguely remember <laughs> some kind of weird fruit or something but and i said persimmon to the to the client i was reading for and she started to roar with laughter and she said oh that had to do with this weird tree that was like it wasn't it was a tree that we nearly crashed into when we were driving because they <laughs> had it strapped to the back of their car it's a joke that we had uh, for years, my brother and right. I, about this, what whatever kind of tree it was, but it sounded just like the word persimmon. Yeah. Huh. Let's go back so, to... Uh, yeah. Wait, let me finish. Yeah, go ahead. So anyway, it's a three-way conversation, and you have to know that going in, that you're going to be asked questions. And mm. that doesn't make your medium a fraud. It just makes them uh, a, a communicator in a three-way talk. Right. So, uh, Janice, let's go back to the beginning of your uh, career in this uh, field. You were writing um, romance novels for a, 
New York publishers in the late yeah. 80s, early 90s. Yeah. And uh, you had con uh, contracts for more books when something very unusual happened to you. Uh, tell us about that. Well, um, I had, uh, you know, authors are always asked to promote their own books, even with conventional publishers. And yeah. so I had gone sure. to the home of a freelance um artist who was going to do graphics for my cell pieces to book wholesalers and so forth. And, and so she was the artist and the layout person. And um, I went into her house and I said, you know what? I know the lady who used to own this townhouse. And I said, I really like what you've done with it. You know, she kind of had very Southwestern furniture and so forth. It was really a, a refreshing change to the place but she said i i love it here but i wish that she told me before she sold it to me that it's haunted <laughs> and i said you know i've known this woman for years and uh, she never and i've been up here for parties and baby showers and all those things never a mention of any hauntings here hmm. and so as we were walking into her living room this picture on her piano caught my eye and i said i don't know how i know this but that woman on the piano is the one who's haunting you. And she said, that's my mother. She died eight years ago in a horseback riding accident. Wow. And then words started popping into my mind. And I said, you know, I'm just going to tell you what this picture is saying to me. I hope you don't think I'm completely crazy because this has never happened to me before. But I feel like this, that your mom wants to talk to you. And and it stood to reason that she would because she died suddenly. The family was uh -huh. not with her. They didn't get a chance to say goodbye. And all of those are, are situations where the deceased would be quite anxious to, to reconnect. Hmm. And so that went on for like half an hour. She brought through the most, uh, she brought through the word ducks. And this meant nothing to me, but it meant a lot to my graphics artist. She said that was my nickname when I was a little kid. Aww. They called me Duck because my first stuffed animal was a duck and so forth and so on. So it was very inside stuff. It was stuff you could never find about anybody on Facebook, right. even though we didn't have Facebook back then. Um, these are, you look for that kind of stuff from a reader, mm -hmm. stuff that, that nobody, they couldn't possibly know because you haven't posted it anywhere. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. Well, okay. I have a question. What's the afterlife like? <laughs> How's that for well, a <laughs> Here's what they tell me about it, because I only get little snippets. You know how nowadays with COVID, um, we're all seeing everybody's, you know, these stars, living rooms and dining rooms and stuff like that. Well, yeah. you're kind of just seeing the little background of where Steve Schmidt lives or whoever. And right. anyway, that's sort of what I see of heaven. I see them talking to me with stuff in the background. And so... <clears throat> It is, in many ways, it is whatever you want it to be. I find that the spirits say if they want to live in a southwestern setting, they, they have that kind of setting. If they want to live where it's snowy and mountainous, they have that kind of setting. They can really mm -hmm. choose where they want to live. It's a very big place. And um, they often talk about preparing a house up there that is similar to the one they lived in on Earth. Huh. Um, <clears throat> They pretty much do whatever they want to do, um, although they are sometimes urged to do angel work, which would be helping people on Earth besides helping just their loved ones. Uh -huh. They're very much guardian angels for us, mm -hmm. our ancestors. And many people talk about but getting over to the si other side and not recognizing the, all of the people that greeted them. And in fact, realizing later they were ancestors. 
Oh, jeez. Hmm. Yeah, so you wouldn't would necessarily. Weird. Yeah, we wouldn't necessarily recognize those people, right? Huh. So, so, uh, so why would they want to come back here after? They generally don't. They <laughs> <generally> don't. <laughs> Unless there's really unfinished business, or oh. they're sent back because their karma is is pretty pretty sad, pretty bad. Mm-hmm. And then they're sent back to do more karma learning. And, you know, this is when I think about the earth from their perspective, it's a little bit like um, it's a little bit like parachuting into enemy territory during World War Two, uh-huh. because you're suddenly going from a place where there's no illness, no crime, no hatred, no nastiness, um, no addiction um, to a place that has all of those in abundance. Hmm. You know, and so I, when I see the face of new babies nowadays, brand new babies, I think, God, you're, you, geez, you're brave <laughs> you know, to come in at a time like this when we really are having a lot of planetary yeah. problems and disasters and, and political upheaval and all sorts of things, you know. But isn't Earth- they come back because they need to do work, the, and, yeah. and sometimes it, it's, it's remedial work for their particular soul, and sometimes it appears to be more volunteer work uh-huh. for, human, for humankind, you know. Uh-huh. What, um, okay, you said they're sent back. Who sends them? I mean, is that a choice? It's, it's, it's not a choice, usually. Um, it's something that they're shown their lives and they're shown the choices they made that were poor choices. Uh-huh. And then they're, it, it, I will have to say the powers that be to that because to me it's God and angels, but to others it might be, you know, something else that mm-hmm. is the powers that be. Mm-hmm. Oh, interesting. So um, you had a, you met, mentioned briefly uh, channeling versus mediumship. Uh, Tell us the story of a friend you had who became a channeler against her will after a man who had um, some power, uh, who was a, had been a powerful psychic during his life, uh, died. Uh, I think his name was Robert uh, Parker. Right. Yeah. Can you tell us about that? Robert Parker, by the way, was instrumental in the Elizabeth Smart um, solving the Elizabeth Smart case. Oh. Uh-huh. He, was, he was quite a well-known psychic. Um, well, she didn't mean to have this happen, but we went to, to Robert Parker's memorial service, and when she drove home, she was sort of in a trance. She is herself a sensitive healer type, and she ended up driving to his home instead of driving to hers, and it wasn't in route or anything, and she kind of came out of it when she realized that she was in a strange neighborhood, but then she... She saw Robert Parker's home, and she realized she was actually probably channeling him. Huh. Uh, channeling can be quite strong right after the death of somebody. And, uh, did, and you, you thought she, at this memorial service for Robert Parker, she acted a little unusual, you thought, were hugging uh, the, the grandmother who... Yes, uh, who yeah, did, you who will, did. yeah. Yeah, you will find that happening, too. It's very much about your chakra. She was feeling Robert intensely and didn't even realize it. Hmm. Um, But suddenly, you know, hugging complete strangers um, (laughs) and um, and then realizing, stepping back a little and realizing these this is Robert's family. And this is what's possessing me, literally possessing me to do this. Mm -hmm. Hmm. Does that happen often? 
that kind of it can i mean it certainly can and i think that if you don't like that happening or uh-huh. if you're going into a haunting situ a haunted house or a haunted history tour or whatever i would certainly clean and seal my aura the way that is described several times in my book hmm. just because you might not want that kind of energy in you i mean part of the reason why i'm not a channeler is because i choose not to be i don't it scares me to have somebody else's energy with yeah. my behavior. Like Susan. Like what's happening. Right, yeah. Right. Yeah. Um We have we have Nigel here now, so yeah. if you hear panting <laughs> and the ball bouncing, it's him. Yeah. So <laughs> what was your situation as in your childhood? Uh did you have experiences then? Uh I know you, uh, your mother died when you were quite young, is it? Wasn't the case? That's right. I was um, probably about six weeks old when she died, and I had already been given up for adoption. She was sick with um, hepatitis, and um, and so and some other thing that that she caught in the family. Um, um, I want to say white plague. That's not tuberculosis. <laughs> white plague. <laughs> you can tell I write his. I've written historicals. Anyway, um, she died. When I was about six weeks old, she'd already given me up for adoption. Um, Hmm. And then um, my dad, my adoptive father, died when I was 10 of lung cancer. And um, and so, you know, some of the experiences were, I thought they were a little scary. Like I was suddenly found myself a latchkey kid at the age of 10 because my dad had died. My mother went to work to bring in income my my oldest my only sibling went off to college and instead of being a household of four people we went within a year to it just being me in a house huh. like minnetonka and it was like it was a big house and i was scared and i okay you were telling us about your the the uh, painting of your Dad. Yeah, the painting of my father. So as I said, I, I suddenly found myself in a house all alone after, you know, in, in just within a year of having uh, three other family members with me all the time. Mm. I had a stay-at-home mother who then had to go to work when my dad died and a, uh, an older brother who then went off to college. Mm. And um, I was a little, I was, I mean, my first medium experience, I think, was scary for me. Um, and, and maybe, and of course, some of this was happening even earlier in my childhood with my real mother too, but I was a little afraid to be in the house alone with that painting, hmm. something, and, and I couldn't even really articulate it. Cause back then, you know, in the sixties, people didn't talk about stuff like this. Right. Exactly. Uh, you know, so you had no one to like, talk to about it either. No. No, you know, and and I, you know, I I was a creative kid, and I was probably just going to be told that I had an active imagination right. and and all that happy junk. But but the truth <laughs> is that I just didn't feel comfortable alone in that house, hmm. and I felt his presence very strongly. And now I know he was just trying to guard me. But w- children were raised to be a little afraid a lot of times of their parents back then. Mm-hmm. And especially a big gruff officer from Andrews Air Force Base. I mean, <clears throat> yikes, right? Yeah. yeah, right. Yeah. 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 Well, did you so, ever later? Did you ever communicate with him? Yes. Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, once I got into um, junior high and adulthood, um, it was as though he he was more comfortable talking uh-huh. to an adult too. Um, 
you know, and so now if I go to Lake Superior where he grew up, I feel him very strongly there. With um, me, and I feel very comfortable with that. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. Well, um, Janice, do you think either your mother or your, your father have come back? No, no, I'm not. I'm not getting that impression. Uh, oh, and you know, we talked earlier about what life on the other side is right. like, and I just want to say one other thing to add to this. This happened long after I wrote my book, but uh, in t- November of 2019, I had an afterlife, ex- a near-death experience. Oh, you did? And mm. Yeah, yeah. And I'm glad I did. I'm glad for it because it helps me have more insight into what the dead are trying to tell me about their experiences. Mm. But what happened was I was going in for a routine colonoscopy, and I, it turned out um, I was allergic to the anesthetic. Oh, boy. And mm-hmm. so my blood my blood oxygen dropped dangerously low, and they rushed me off on an, an ambulance. But prior to that, they were trying to revive me, and they intubated me and so forth. And um, while I was dead for however long that was, and I'm sure it must have been just seconds or minutes, um, I saw two my two dogs who had died in the, the previous few months. Hmm. And oh. I reached down and I petted them, and it was very real. It was very oh. real. I mean, I petted them, and, and uh, you know, they were very attentive to me. And then I felt like I was just jerked back to earth, you know. Mm. A lot of people describe the experience as, like, falling into a pair of wet jeans or something. It's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's just not a pleasant experience to get pulled back. It isn't, yeah. and especially to wake up in a colonoscopy clinic. Yikes. Oh, God. Right? <laughs> You just want it over with, you know, the whole procedure. You don't want to, like, die and end up in the hospital. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Oh, well, wow. is, so, this is a learning experience from two. This is my PSA for the day. Have your colonoscopies done in a hospital if you possibly can. <laughs> yeah. These clinics... These clinics then have to rush you. If they're lucky, they get you to a hospital in time, and Jeez. and then you'll get charged like two thousand dollars for the ambulance ride. So, uh, if you ever have to schedule one, I would really try for a hospital setting. If I were you, I know I will. Yeah, I'm, <laughs> I'm sorry that you reminded me of that. I probably have one coming up. <laughs> yeah. I and I last... think with it, with any luck, Rob, they probably won't kill you. But yeah. If Remember, they do, you want to take careful notes of what happens. When right, yeah, right. Well, what I remember from my last one is uh, as, as they gave me the sedative, uh, I was looking at the clock to see what time it was. And then the next thing I know, I open my eyes and I'm looking, where's the clock? And I'm in a different room and it's all over. <laughs> wow. Wow, I wish mine had gone that smoothly. But I'm richer. I'm. I'm. It cost me four thousand dollars this whole medical debacle. But it might have been worth it because now I can talk about my afterlife experience. Yeah, that's true. Experience, right? I mean, I don't know that you can pay for them and order them, but when they happen. <laughs> yeah. Well, well now, and you know what? It brings a lot of peace to you. It brings a lot of peace to your soul. Uh huh. You know. If you that you were able to death. see people who had passed already, or dogs, as the case may be. Yeah. Did the dogs recognize you? Oh, yes. Yeah, okay. Oh, yeah. Uh, did they talk? <laughs> well, they were just so happy to see me. Oh, I mean, okay. their tails were wagging, and I was petting them, and they were licking my hands, and hmm. they were just carrying on the way they usually do. 
One was a golden retriever mix. I guess I don't need to say more to you guys about that. No, you don't. <laughs> They're always happy to see anybody yeah, alive, are. really. You know. Yeah. Yeah. So one of the things you talk about uh, in your book is you mentioned uh, spirit communication through music. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. Um, very often when a, when you start to think about um, the, the soul that you want to talk to, you will find something happens within 24 hours or less, actually. And um, it often happens in a car that a song will come on that is not played very often. Mm -hmm. um, so you know it's unusual. And it'll be meaningful between you and that person. It will uh -huh. have some... Some and the old Helen Reddy song, "Me and You Against the World," reminded me of my mother when my dad was mm -hmm. died, and and so that song, if that song comes on, I know she's probably talking to me. Um, Synchronicity. Mhm. Mm mhm. Mm yeah. yeah. And it can happen on a TV. It can happen on a computer, uh, or maybe even a phone. That that something mm. comes up that you know is them. Yeah, we've talked uh, before about this. Uh, Experienced that uh, notorious uh, skeptic of the afterlife, uh, who's the publisher, the editor of Skeptical Magazine, uh, wrote about Michael Shermer. Yeah, Michael Shermer, uh, in, in which uh, he was being married to this German woman, and uh, she is in the United States, and she does, she's kind of sad because she doesn't have any of her family there with her for this wedding, and. Uh, as they're preparing for the ceremony, this radio starts playing these love songs. And this is a radio that her grandfather had given her a long time ago, and it hadn't worked for for years. And she just kept it as a kind of a collectible. And suddenly, this uh, radio is play, playing, and uh, other people, a couple other people heard it as well. And it went on for about an hour. Uh, and... Uh, she, you know, she started crying and said, my grandfather is here, which, you know, uh, yeah. and so he wrote about that. And I think scientific American, yeah, scientific American yeah, right, in, his in a column. column. Well, a couple of years later, he kind of, uh, he was back to being his normal self, <laughs> back to his skeptical self. <laughs> but, uh, he had a, yes. like an opening there for, well, for I think a, he has to be professionally skeptical, unfortunately. Yeah. 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 And anyhow, that, that afterwards, that radio never worked again <laughs> isn't that interesting yeah. yeah isn't it and we could say quelle coincidence you know as the french say but it it isn't in a way this is almost sort of cancel culture for the dead whenever we say oh that was just a coincidence right or, oh i just imagined that uh -huh. and, you know very often it keeps happening well that's <laughs> These like things people keep who, happening yeah that's like people who How many don't... coincidences are there, really? Yeah. And, right. you know, Especially, they're not just happenstance. They're, they're, right. they're trying to talk they mean to you. Something. And yes, it absolutely does. And I think that we owe it to our dead loved ones to at least be open minded about that. Mm -hmm. um, well, one of the chapters in your book uh, is called The Science of Visitation, where you talk about the Richard Clares family in Minnesota, yeah. whose son Greg had been murdered. That, that yeah. chapter was fascinating. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, he was stabbed to death while acting as a bouncer in a nightclub. And this was about three days before Christmas. Um, it was just <clears throat> devastating. And the same day that he died, um, he, he was stabbed at night. But the following morning, 
uh, their dog died, an aging huh. dog that they were planning on putting down after Christmas. And, um, you know, any of us that have faced having to put a dog down know that we might not have want to ruin our, our holidays by doing it beforehand. Mm-hmm. So this was something that had really been left undone and she was ailing and so forth. And um, he took her with him. And the way that he showed that he took Katie with him was that it popped up in a, a spirit orb. Um, huh. I had told them that Greg was saying, be sure, Greg, the deceased guy, that that he was saying, be sure to take pictures on Christmas Eve because he'll be there with you. Huh. And you see that very often on special occasions, birthday pictures, Valentine's Day pictures. Very often that's when you're going to get your spirit orbs. And if you zoom into them, you know, spirit orbs are significant in and of themselves, but mm-hmm. if you if you zoom into them, you will sometimes find messages inside them or photographs, almost oh, like they're sending you a postcard from heaven, you know, and mm-hmm. this was a picture of Katie. The, oh, the really? Jeez. Yeah, on, in the spirit orb. That hmm. that we cap that they captured with the camera on Christmas Eve. Again, you need to use you know a um, digital camera that uh-huh. has a really super super fast shutter speed <clears throat> and so forth and so on. But um, then you put them on the computer and and zoom into spirit orbs. And I've even done that for my clients where they think they're seeing something and would I take a look? So mm, you perhaps use a little magnifying glass and zoom in on the thing, and and uh, you'd be amazed what can be inside. Them those things we know in Casadego which is where everybody's psychic or a medium I mean it's a town that talks to the dead yeah spiritualist community yeah they uh they used to lead Saturday night orb tours remember that yeah right so would those types of orbs be personal for anybody they might they might oh yeah Mm. yeah that you might see personal stuff in there or even just stuff that you recognize as part of the historical setting that you're uh-huh. in. Yeah. You know, there are people like down in Galena that uh, where Grant came from that, you know, will get spirit orbs with Grant's face in them occasionally and stuff hmm. like that. So, uh-huh. you know, and certainly it's true of Gettysburg. I mean, Gettysburg is loaded with yeah. images. Goes yeah, I've heard that. Right, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. How how about you? Do, do do you see ghosts or spirits ever? I don't, because it would scare me. Too. <laughs> I'm a little ninny. I mean, I'm a really a ninny. I, it's a good thing I had the communications degree, but I didn't know it would be this kind of communication. <laughs> I was going to ask you about that. It. Back, you know, in the 70s at the U of M. Um, yeah, um, it, I'm a little afraid of, of seeing a ghost. So for that reason, I kind of block that sense for mm-hmm. myself. Yeah. But but you do hear voices. I do. Yeah. I so do, hear- and I feel things. You know, when I was at Gettysburg, I, I, I could feel someone tugging on the back of my sweater when we went on a ghost tour. I could, I mean, uh, my senses were lit up like a Christmas tree, my soul. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh. Well, so when you were working with this family whose son had been murdered, Greg, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. What? What was was that his choice as a way to, of death? To die. To die by stabbing? No. Okay. No. And I and I this is where I differ a lot with other people in the metaphysical community. I don't believe our fates are written in stone. I will never you will never get me to believe that. Uh, many of them are so shocked when they die. They're so surprised that it happened. 
Um, and it's so they, you may come here with life lessons that you've agreed to mm-hmm. learn and work on. That wouldn't surprise me at all. But the s- circumstances of your death are quite probably unknown to you uh-huh. on any level. And so I do see that they're quite surprised usually. And he certainly was. His family really was because most people don't die of stabbing wounds. Yeah. But he somebody had attacked him with a, um, well, let's see. And one of the patrons there had attacked him with a, um, like a razor blade slicer thing. Ooh. You know? Box yeah. cutter? Yeah, box cutter. Yeah. And, and it oh. had gone, um, it had gone really from like his sternum all the way down. So it, it hit all his blood bearing organs and they didn't know that when they were taking him in the ambulance, but so he, he they just couldn't. Bled out then probably. He just bled to death. Yeah. I mean, yeah. he was still sitting up in the ambulance and talking to his family, but Jeez. the trauma wasn't really over. I mean, he then went to the hospital and bled to death internally. Yeah. No. So, I mean, you know, there was nothing they could do for him, but they were promised because it was just a stabbing wound that he'd probably be okay. Yeah. Hmm. You know, so everybody was in shock. So you don't, you don't expect to lose a 24 year old most no. of the time. Yeah. Do, do you, did he ever express a need for revenge? No. Mm-hmm. No. That's interesting. That doesn't seem to be a great uh, interest on the other side. I think. No, I don't think it is They may seek some kind of. Um, it's not revenge. It would be more along the lines of, for instance, if they were buried in Arlington or something, but the but their current rank wasn't included on the headstone, or they hadn't been given some ribbon. They were, you know, a medal mm. or this kind of thing. They tend to take care of that kind of unfinished. Or the or if the murderer got away, and or if the murderer got away, uh-huh. which this one did not. Uh, thank uh-huh. God, but. Um, you know, uh, yeah. no, I wasn't sensing revenge. I was just send, sensing shock with him and great, great sorrow. And that's why he said, I, I never miss a Christmas with my family. You must tell them to take photos on Christmas Eve. Yeah. Hmm. What, what about animal communication? You, you You've done your that. share of that. Yeah, that? yeah. Um, animal communication is a little bit different than people communication. In my book, I have a chapter about communicating with deceased pets, and um, it's uh, it's different because our relationship with pets is different. We are not um, we are not as verbal with pets usually. Um, it's much more of a visceral relationship, and so when you're getting visitations from a pet, it's more likely to take the form of um, Feelings in your heart chakra, um, feelings of of warmth in your solar plexus, and 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 perhaps hugging around the throat chakra and that kind of thing. But depending on the size of the animal, but basically, they're very they're very tactile in in how they visit, and you want to be very aware of your chakras. You know, acquaint mm. yourself with them, which is why I talk about them a lot in my book. Um, you can use a pendulum to communicate with them. You can use tarot cards to communicate with them. But the, uh, it's it's important to understand with tarot cards that the first thing your eye lights upon with a tarot card or an angel card is the message they're trying to send because animals are really literalists. I find my readings with animals are very kind of specific. Like they'll tell me what color their favorite toy was, what color their collar Jeez. was, um, what food they like to steal. 
um, <laughs> from from tables and so forth. Mm-hmm. They'll say things like "Thank you for the pizza," or you know what I mean, or whatever food they've yeah. been given. Um, I had one colleague tell me, you know, thank you to this this woman I was reading for because she had saved his life when she was little. Um, he had he was going to be killed because he had um, raided the family hen house. They lived on a farm. And, oh, and so the mo- father just wanted to take him out to shoot him because he figured once once they uh-huh. raid a hen house, we'll never break some of that. Mm-hmm. And she fled for his life. She was pleading. And um, he acknowledged that he had screwed up and he never did it again huh. uh, in his lifetime, but he acknowledged that she saved him. Mm-hmm. How, how long did Emma experience it? Yeah, no, that, that's really vivid. Huh. How how long do they stick around after they've died? Um, well, you know, you get most of your visitation probably in the first three months or so. But, you know, every time we think about them, we can attract their energy. Mm. And, you know, you had asked a question earlier or on, on your sheet that you sent before the podcast about rescues. Um, mm-hmm. And what you were meaning is phys- rescues from physically threatening situations. Yeah. And I was just reading for a woman yesterday who had a car accident, and she said it was very strange because even though the accident happened in what was really just seconds, you know, I didn't even have time to swerve to avoid it, there was this thing that happened to me, and it, and I think we'll all recognize this, where time seemed to elongate. You know, mm-hmm. like stringing mm-hmm. out like toffee in front of you, sort yeah. of, you know, and it's it, it you know, it only happened in a split second. And yet you're aware of this weird time zone that you went into where where you were panicked and your your loved ones, your angel guardians, those people come to your defense. They come to <clears throat> help you because they it's almost like a siren going off for them They're right there. And what what her mother said to me, her deceased mother was, uh, we slow down time so you have time to brace yourself. Jeez. In those dangerous situations, oh. we slow down oh. time for you. So it's not just your imagination; it's actually uh-huh. them intervening and trying to help on our timeline, hmm. on our physical timeline. Hmm. And I'd never had a spirit tell me that before, but I thought it was really interesting. That's fascinating. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, in in December. We got a call from our daughter, Megan, she's on our way home for Christmas. And, she just, and these are the kind of calls you, you never want to get. And she was right. hysterical. Somebody had just sideswiped her and she hit a guardrail and it ended up in a ditch. But before all that happened, the car spun around. So she ended up actually going in the wrong direction. And uh, one of the things yeah. I never asked her was, did you feel anybody around protecting you. Yeah, I mean, it's amazing. I mean, the car was a mess. Yeah, the car was destroyed, but uh, she she survived, and she had five animals in the car, including two rabbits, a cat, and two dogs, and they all all survived. Yeah. Holy cow. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. You should ask her more about that, and if she Um, got a sense of time kind of slowing. Uh I remember she did say something to that effect that, you know, it seemed to happen too slowly or something you know it was it was there was yes. a, yeah uh, well, she, well she was just fortunate that the, there were not any cars real near her other than the one that you know she she had uh she almost hit to and she went into this accident to avoid hitting this car that cut her off and uh you know if there would have been cars right behind her it would have been all over Very probably. Bad, yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. 
Uh, one other question about animals. Do you ever uh, communicate with living animals? Do you hear what they have to say? Sometimes if I go over to visit a friend and an animal looks like it's stressed for some reason mm -hmm. or um, there's something it wants to tell me, um, I, I will pick up on something that I will tell the owner. Um, this is what I'm getting from your dog, you know. Mm. Um, so, yes, it happens. Um, but I'm I'm not really but, – but, but then I'm really stepping into the zone of, of, of quite talented animal communicators on this side. Uh -huh. who uh, who are who just are better at it probably than I am with live animals. So I try to stay in my own lane, yeah. maybe as a professional courtesy, you know. Like I don't do ghost hunting and that kind of thing, even though mm -hmm. I'm a medium. But, you know, people don't realize there are lots of different kinds of mediums. Right, right, Not animal physical and there, right. There are there are mediums that help with criminal cases. You know, right. there are right. mediums that help with cleaning out haunted settings. Uh -huh. And I, I have friends in all of those areas. You know, yeah. um, and but I'm much more of a grief um, assuasion type mm -hmm. person because of losing two parents by the time I was yeah. born. And I know that devastating sense of loss. And I know that for many, many years, we have not addressed it. I was stunned after my dad's funeral that everybody but brought bars and, you know, Minnesota bar, you know, like bars, like uh, Rice Krispie bars and um, Minnesota hot dishes and Jello and the whole thing when my dad died. And for a week, they were there and then they were gone. And it was yeah. like, okay, let's sweep this under the carpet and move on, you know. Mm -hmm. And it, what's happening is that, like with the Greg Clare story, uh, uh, their hearts have just been ripped out yeah. of the family. And there must be something more that we can do for them. And I was always a little angry on that subject. And mm -hmm. I don't just mean sitting around in a grief <clears throat> counseling group, because as helpful as that is, it may not bring you the closure of actually talking right. to them. Especially when the loved one dies so suddenly. Right. Like I've been super busy with COVID because, you know, look how people die. They die in a hospital and they can't have Alone. visitors. And then they can't even have a decent funeral. Yeah, that's a good point. It, it's just like, it's just like, okay, well, I'll just sweep this up. And it's like, we can't do anything about that. That's the nature of a pandemic. But sometimes getting a book like Soul Sensing and learning to talk to them can really help bring closure to, to sometimes right. even a, a wounded relationship, you know? Hmm. Yeah. Your book has a lot of self-help uh, material in, which is good for people. But uh, what advice... Uh, do you have for people who are not psychic uh, who want to try to contact uh, may, might want to contact a deceased loved one? Any? Well, I just have to say because I'm most familiar with my own book. Pick up the book; it's got every <laughs> tip you can imagine. Right. In it, it'll even tell you the ways in which you may be blocking the process unconsciously. Uh -huh. Um, but they, I mean, I'm not the only one who's written a book on this subject. There are many others out there that come at it from different angles and it's good to read up. And frankly, most of my clients do come to me because they've read the book and huh. because they've read, and they've read many others too. And mm -hmm. they're trying to educate themselves about how do I, how do I continue my relationship with this dear soul? You know, one of our blogging friends lost her husband. And one day she was cleaning out her, you know, his things and suddenly got a text message 
that said, I love you. Remember that? That was that Nancy who lives in um, out west somewhere, Oregon. Oh, yeah, right, yeah. yeah. And have you heard of anything like that in te technology contact? Oh, yeah. Email. Oh, yeah. Email, yeah. Yeah. Not as often as people just picking up on things with their soul senses. But, um, yeah, I have a client that I talk about in the book, Laura Bew, whose husband <clears throat> left a phone message for her um, oh. on her cell phone. And it was him saying, party hardy. And it was, <laughs> that was very typical of him. He was really a party animal, thus the, the early death, actually. And uh -huh. he, you know, and... Um, God love him. It was his voice from hmm. beyond somehow. And I, she didn't remember him ever sending that when he was alive. And it hmm. just suddenly appeared on her phone. So, I mean, that's a very, very powerful yeah. transmission. Um, certainly you can, in my book, I do talk about some electronic ways to, to do that. Mm -hmm. There's some, some sort of channel surfing you can do with, um, spirit boxes and so forth. Yeah. But again, if you're going to do that kind of thing, you really should clean and seal your aura first. So you don't bring bad energy in. And you give a, an exercise for that. Several, several times yeah. in the book. Several, yeah, several yeah. times yeah. in the book. Because even I can forget it. And I, for, I forgot one time to clean seal my aura when we were going through some haunted sites in um, Deadwood, South Dakota. Mm. Not thinking it was a particularly haunted place, and I couldn't have been more wrong. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and, and one of the saloon girls um, who died via suicide who it was quite a tragic story she'd gotten pregnant from one of her you know prostitution clients and those saloon girls were told that they could come out you know west and and have a singing and dancing career right. only to find out when they got there and didn't have quote bus fare back home that they they were stuck there and they were going to be prostitutes so that was her story, too, and she was particularly beautiful and elegant, but she got pregnant. She was convinced it was this particular guy's baby, and um, she wanted very much for him to marry her. He was a rancher, and he seemed to really care about her, but when he rebuffed her, um, she killed. She threw herself out a window Jeez. and suffered for many days afterwards. And I'll tell you something. After that, I was inconsolable. I mean, I felt like hmm. her. I felt like my husband had cheated me somehow or that it, I was just like inexplicably weepy, which I never am. And I was just kind of like he couldn't say or do anything right. And it was like, he's going, what is the matter with you? We're on a vacation. We're supposed to be having a good time. And now you know, you're just like so tragic. And I feel like I've done something wrong and I haven't. So what's up? And I realized, you know what? I'm channeling her. Hmm. So you have to, this is why I say, please clean and seal your aura before you go into these places, because you never know what you're going to bring home with you. Hmm. How long did she stick around? Well, once he said that to me, I started to realize what was happening. Uh -huh. And I went and took a bath and kind of washed all of it off of me, sort of, and, uh, you know, just a physical representation mm -hmm. of kind of cleansing your, your aura. And uh, then I started to come back to my senses. But I'd never had it happen before or since. It was really tragic and sad. And, you know, mm -hmm. it makes you suspicious of the people around you. And it's <laughs> really... You know, it's just really a, a bad experience. My heart just still bleeds for her because mm -hmm. I felt like I was literally walking in her shoes. Yeah. Janice, you really need to go to Casadega. <laughs> I do. I know. You would 
love this place. <laughs> and we just bought right a in. travel trailer, so we may head that way. Uh, oh, really? Oh, cool. Yeah. yeah. Uh, do you have like a community of psychics that people that you know around uh, Minneapolis there that you communicate with? Yeah, right? I mean, I've met most of them at Edge fairs. You know, we have the Edge magazine up here. And so they do one big uh, sort of metaphysical fair every year with healers and um, psychics and mediums and pet communication specialists and the whole nine yards. And I, yes, we, we do. We take classes from one another to learn their other areas of that's cool. expertise, and um, and we try to support each other. At least that's been my motto, you know. How can people get in touch with you? Um, they can go to my website, which is www.janicecarlson.com, and it's the usually usual spelling of that. It's J-A-N-I-C-E, and then Carlson, C-A-R-L-S-O-N. Um, and the website will take you to my email address and so on, okay. my phone number and so forth. Yeah. And your Amazon has your book. Amazon has my book. You can also order the book autographed off my website too. Oh, okay. That's cool. Are you doing any more fiction writing? I am. Yes. Get back into it. I am. I am for a particular project that's been, you know, really in my psyche for a very long time. The okay. saloon girl. No, but <laughs> no, but um, that one probably bears writing down too. Yeah, yeah. Oh, really? That'd be interesting. That'd be yeah. dramatic. That yeah. One. yeah. Yeah. Well, good luck with your endeavors. Yeah, this is great, uh, Janice. Well, thank you guys for having me on. Yeah, I really for appreciate it. On. Yeah. And, and now you archive your podcast too, don't yes, you? Do. Yeah. Yep. So and people now, can, if they missed it today, they can come oh, back yeah, later. Yeah, it, it's right. there. Yeah, it's so like I can put it in my newsletter and stuff, right? My yeah, clients right. can, they can go they see can it. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Oh, John, okay. when will this one come up? Do you, do you know? It, it, it goes up tonight. Oh, <laughs> so, okay, yeah. great. Yeah. I'll send you the link. Okay. I'll send okay. you the link to all of them. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah. Thank you, Trish. And happy Valentine's Day. Happy Same Valentine's to you. Happy Valentine's Day. <laughs> okay. Good talking Enjoy you. your warm weather. Oh, we will. <laughs> Take care. Thank you. Thank you. Bye now. Bye-bye. Thanks for joining The Mystical Underground. Visit www.themysticalunderground.com for the latest blog post and book info. Subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, or your favorite podcast app. Listen to the podcast at podcast.themysticalunderground.com. Follow Trish and Rob on Instagram at Trish and Rob McGregor. Follow us on Twitter at The Mystic Cast. Send email to podcast at themysticalunderground.com. And until next week, thank you for listening and stay mystical. Yeah.